0: So I'll read Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure, or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord. And I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now I just want you to notice in verse 13 that the Sabbath is to be called a delight. And any consideration of how to observe the Sabbath starts there. It's to be called a delight. Now we understand that carnal men and lost men are going to call things delightful, and Christians are going to call... Completely different things delightful. So I think it would be acceptable uh, without much defense to say that when we are to call the Sabbath a delight, that is to be from a Christian perspective, a Christian delight. We do not believe that God has retracted His gift from us by abolishing the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man... In the beginning and has always been and remains a blessing from God to us. And we see here that it is God's desire that we call the Sabbath a delight. He would not have us to be hypocrites. He would not have us to be liars and and call something a delight that is really not a delight or that we are not actually delighting in. I think it's safe to infer from this passage that God truly means for the Sabbath to be A delight. He wants us to be delighted with the Sabbath and to take delight in Him on the Sabbath day. Psalm 84.11 says, No good thing does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. And I would consider the Sabbath to fall under that category of good things. He does not withhold His good things. He gives His good things. Sabbath keeping is meant to be a delight to us And if we fall short in that delight in some way, it's not because the Sabbath itself is a burden. It's because we have either observed it wrongly or our hearts have been far from God in whatever observance we have rendered. The burden is not in the Sabbath, the delight is in the Sabbath. And so the question for this evening is what does it look like to keep or observe the Christian Sabbath? Now we'll look at our confession. Paragraph 8 puts it this way The Sabbath is then kept holy unto the Lord when men, after a due preparing of their hearts and ordering their common affairs aforehand, do not only observe an holy rest all day from their own works, words, and thoughts about their worldly employment and recreations, but are also taken up the whole time in the public and private exercises of His worship and in the duties of necessity and mercy. Now notice how that paragraph begins. The Sabbath is then kept holy unto the Lord. In this discussion of Sabbath observance, and as we talk about this, and you, you might r- discuss this with others, most of the questions about Sabbath observance usually revolve around what can I do, what can I not do. Just tell me what not to do and tell me what not to do, and I'll, I'll follow the rules. And there are some who shy away from the idea that or from, from uh, don't do's. They don't want to come across as uh, merely giving the prohibitions. And I don't think that we have to be ashamed of the don't do's. That is the way that the Bible presents the commandment. There are prohibitions. But even before we get to the do's and the don'ts of Sabbath observance, the commandment begins with this truth. Exodus 20 verse 8, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Our confession, the Sabbath is then kept holy. We are to sanctify the day. The Sabbath is to be kept holy. That's where we start. It is to be kept holy, sanctified, set apart, different. Even before that in the giving of the commandments, God said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And all of the commandments are predicated upon that relationship, that God is our God, that we are His redeemed people. And so as we consider how to observe the Sabbath, we need to be thinking as redeemed people purchased by God, by the blood of His own Son. And the Sabbath day is the day when that God has invited us away to come away with Him and worship Him and enjoy Him. It's a holy day for holy people and it's our job, it's your job to keep it holy. I think it's also helpful to think of this in terms of a New Testament illustration. We saw last Lord's Day that Christ made it a habit, at least two Lord's Days in a row, to come and stand in the midst of His gathered disciples. And so as we consider what it looks like to observe the Sabbath as a redeemed people, we might also ask ourselves, This question, if I were one of the ten disciples on that first Lord's Day, or the eleven disciples on the second Lord's Day, when Christ came and stood in their midst, what would I do? Christ appears. The door is shut. There He is. What do I do? That's how we should think about the Sabbath. Christ does, in fact, promise to be in the midst of His gathered church in Matthew chapter 18. So ask yourself, how would I spend the day if Christ was coming physically to meet with our church, to meet with your family, to meet with you at your home? What would you do with the time? Those two questions. How do holy people keep the day holy? And what would I do? How would I spend the time if Christ were physically present? I think if we were honest with those two questions, would go a long way in the heart of a Christian who's convinced by the Word of God that it's their duty to keep the Sabbath. And all of the little details are going to fall into place. They'll answer themselves. The day is to be kept holy. What would I do if Christ were physically here? Now our confession gives us four things that characterize biblical Sabbath keeping. Four things. You say, I've got more than four questions. Well, I'll say from the outset, I'm not going to answer everyone's questions. I'm going to give you these four things. Preparation, rest, worship, and duty. Four things. First, preparation. The Sabbath is then kept holy unto the Lord when men, after a due preparing of their hearts and ordering their common affairs beforehand, and we'll stop there. We can state that in the form of a proposition. A proper, biblical, and joy filled Sabbath requires that we make the proper preparations. Now, this does not imply that the Sabbath itself occupies two days. But it does follow, I believe, as a law of nature, that if anything is going to be sanctified, if it's going to be set apart and treated differently, that is going to require some preparation on our part, especially if we're talking about a period of time. If this period of time is to be set apart, then prior to that period of time beginning, I have had to at least thought about what it looks like to set apart that period of time prior to that period of time arriving that's preparation this is we do this in every other aspect of our lives and i would actually argue that much of the felt or assumed burden of sabbath keeping is usually traced back to the fact that people simply refuse to prepare themselves ahead of time usually most of the stress that we experience on the lord's day could be avoided if we simply took the time beforehand to ask what am i going to be doing tomorrow What is my family going to be doing tomorrow? What is my church going to be doing tomorrow? And what can I do today to prepare for tomorrow? You might ask yourself on the last day of the week, what would I do today if I knew that Jesus was going to be here tomorrow? The first thing is that we have to prepare our hearts. Now this might not come first Chronologically, but it is the priority. Our hearts have to be prepared. For many people, this might purposefully be the last thing that you do on the evening before the Lord's Day. But it is the priority, the, the preparing of our hearts. One goal in preparing our heart is to, I don't know of a better way to say it, than to just calm down from all of the the hustle and the bustle of the previous week or even the work of of the day. This might mean that you... Mentally, go over the events of the past week and the tasks that were on your to do list. Maybe the events of the next week and the tasks on, on that are on that to do list. And just to make a, mental, make a mental note of what has been taken care of and what there still is to be taken care of. Make note of the things that are just going to have to wait till Monday and just confirm that reality in your mind ahead of time. It's got to wait. I've got that to do. It's got to wait. This is, I believe, an intentional use of of using Christ as our peace. We learn to be at peace with the fact that whatever might remain to be done next week can be entrusted into the hands of the Lord, the potentate of time. He will ensure that if it is to be done, it will be there next week. I do not have to rush through the Lord's Day to get to Monday to take care of certain things. I can begin to prepare even on Saturday thinking, I know I've got these things to do. I'm just going to tell myself, it's got to wait. It will wait. A lot of times we overtax ourselves because we don't believe that God is able to handle all of our affairs. And even where we've failed, maybe you get to Saturday and you say, well, I had these three things to do and I, I didn't do them. And here we are, it's the end of the week. I didn't get them done. Even where we've failed, believe it or not, God is able to uphold the universe just the same even if you forgot to do some things, didn't complete all your tasks, or have a lot to do next week. He is able to conduct time. It's interesting, in a, we were talking about this yesterday, in the giving of the law, we read this in Exodus thirty-four twenty-one: 21. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. Think about that. Plowing And harvest are the most time sensitive, labor intensive seasons of an agrarian society. There are times when you have to get the seed in the ground, and if you miss that time, you lose the crop. And then there's the time when you have to get it out of the ground, and if you miss that time, you lose that crop. These are very important seasons. And a farmer might be tempted to look at the weather and notice that things are happening, the seasons are changing, and they might feel that if if they don't get the plowing in or if they don't get the harvest gathered in, it's all going to be ruined. And so he might be tempted to take it upon himself to break the commandment of God in those crucial times, take his life into his own hands because he doesn't trust the potentate of time. God says, don't do this. I've ordered time. God wants us to know, I'll take care of your harvest. He even told the, the people there, I'll take care of your harvest. Your, your, your baskets will be full. Your, your granaries will be full. You just obey me. But very often we do the same thing. Our hearts and minds are so full of unbelief that we come into the Sabbath full of worldly cares that we are sure cannot be trusted into God's hands. They have to be left to linger in our own thoughts, in our own minds. If I don't think about this all day, well, the whole, the whole thing is going to fall apart. I've got to keep it right here. And then we fail to keep the Sabbath holy. We're not able to worship. We're not able to settle down. We spend all day on the Lord's Day thinking about what's going to happen as soon as Monday starts and all of the things that are happening. A part of preparing before time is just confirming this reality. We know it to be true. It can wait. It will wait. And so a good practice is just settling the heart and the mind by intentionally reminding yourself of what has taken place, what is left, and that God is in control of it all. Remind yourself that the world is not going to fall apart because you determine that on the Lord's day, you're not going to concern yourself with it. And it will, I promise you, it will continue rolling, spinning, just as it has. Calm your heart. But then there's also... Actively filling your mind and your heart with the things that are going to be most conducive to worship. Uh, Robert Martin in his book on the Christian Sabbath suggests several things. First, the clearing of the conscience. Take some time for honest evaluation of your spiritual condition. Just think. And hopefully you're... you're, um, I don't know if this is a good phrase. In tune. I don't know if you're in tune enough with your spiritual condition to just sit and think, am I ready worship could I just jump into it right now or do I do I know that my wheels are still spinning do I feel like I'm still zooming around you know you have those times I was last night I was procrastinating preparing this lecture and I was just walking around the house well I've got to work well I just don't feel I can't just go and sit down I'm not ready yet take that time to evaluate your spiritual condition tomorrow's the Lord's day am I ready the way that I am To go into a time of worship. Spend some time in self-examination and confessing your sins. Maybe you have known faults between you and a brother or a sister. Maybe you've, you've been hot with your spouse or you've mouthed off angrily at your children. Well, you don't want to go into the Lord's Day with that between you. Clear those types of things. Clear your conscience and settle yourself before the Lord. The second one is reading and meditating on the Scriptures. Some suggestions would be take some time to read through the psalm that's going to be used in the call to worship. Maybe read through the chapter that you know we're going to be reading in the worship service. Maybe think about the sermon text for the following day and read through it. I can tell you preachers love to respond to that text message. Hey, what's the uh, sermon going to be about tomorrow? Be prepared to get a text message. You're just going like this because he's probably bubbling out. Well, point number one is going to be bubbling don't 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 be uh, don't hesitate to ask. Hey, what, what's the text going to be, so that you can begin to read and prepare, or maybe you have your own routine. But spend some time in the Word of God and prayer. The Word of God is sort of like an IV drip for the soul of a Christian. Uh, you you go into hospital rooms. It seems like no matter what the issue is, everybody has an IV because keeping. Liquids flowing into the body is sort of a, a basic essential for all of the uh, proper functions of the body. Everything has to have water. We saw that several weeks ago. Everything has to have water. No matter what the issue is, we know we got to keep water coming in. The Word of God is like that. In, in, in every area of the and all of the movements of your soul, the Word of God is always going to be that basic life-giving uh, uh, IV drip, if you will, to, to nourish your soul. So spend some time in the Scriptures. And then they're seeking God's blessing through prayer. Maybe pray through the Scriptures that you've read. Pray for yourself. Pray for your family. Pray for your church. Pray for those who are going to be ministering the Word. You might not know who all is going to be doing everything, but just pray, Lord, I know some men are going to be trying to to exhort us and encourage us from the Scriptures. Would you help them this evening to prepare them to be edifying? Pray for special graces that you might need to be an edifying member of the body. You know your needs. If you're a more reclusive type, if you know that walking into a large group of people, you tend to immediately retract into your shell, then pray, Lord, I know that it's going to be difficult for me tomorrow, but give me the grace necessary to be edifying to my brothers and sisters. Pray for protection against areas of temptation that are specific to the Sabbath. Again, you know what your temptations are. If you know, every time I get with this person, the conversation goes, here, Well, just pray. Lord, I don't want to avoid them, but help me to be an edifying member of the body. Protect me from that. Help me to think clearly in the moment. Prepare yourself through prayer. Preparing the heart and the mind is the majority of the battle for a sanctified Sabbath. But then there's also the ordering of your common affairs. Now, if you're like me, you're going to do this before the preparation of your heart and mind. I like the the very last thing that I do on Saturday evening to be spent preparing heart and mind. And so what we call common affairs would be done before that. But these things have to be taken care of. And again, Martin is helpful. He says, prepare practically and physically. Things like getting your clothes ready. Get your children's clothes ready. Make sure there's gas in the car. Make sure you've got clean dishes to use for breakfast. Maybe plan for a very simple breakfast. Maybe go ahead and lay out paper plates and products so that you can, when they're done, throw them in the trash and you can move on. If you're making food for the Lord's Day lunch, make sure you've got the stuff to make it with. And if you can make it on Saturday evening, make it. Go ahead and calculate the best time to wake up in order to begin your day with the Lord and also have time to get your family out the door in time to be punctual to worship. The amazing thing about time and a clock is it always goes at the same speed. It always does the same thing. Oh, it's always, It's just moving. So if you know, well, worship starts at 10. I'd like to be there at 9.45. Well, it's going to take me an hour and a half to put my feet out of the bed and to get to the church building. Well, then just do, do the math. 9.45. An hour back would be 8.45. And then a half would be 8.15. So you set your alarm for 8 o'clock, right? Give yourself some time. The clock's not going to move faster or slower. It, it, it will always do that, and you can prepare that way. It's just thinking ahead. The point in all of this is that your mind and your heart are freed up as much as is possible on the Lord's Day for worship. The morning of the Lord's Day is not a That's it. You're in it by that point. This is talking about the day before. That doesn't mean that you do everything or that there is going to be nothing left to do. You don't have to sleep in your church clothes. There are going to be some things to do, but this will relieve some of the burden so that you can guard yourself from the temptation to wake up and immediately be worrying, stressful, in a hurry, and angry at everybody who's in your way because we've got to get to church. We've all been there. It just relieves some of that burden. The Sabbath should not be set apart from the rest of the days of the week by the extra amount of anxiety that everyone around you feels because you failed to prepare. It shouldn't be a different day or, or different because on that day you bark more orders at the children than you do on any other day. That, those things are not to be the things that sanctify the Sabbath. Very often our lack of preparation makes the Sabbath, which is to be a holy day of rest, the only day on which nobody in the house actually feels like they can rest. Homeschool families have this tendency because we are very often guilty of lacking structure most days of the week. And the Lord's Day then becomes the day when we find out just how unstructured we are because it's really the only day of the week that we have a certain time that we have to be somewhere. Now, structure's not bad, and neither is a relaxed schedule all that bad. But we do send a negative message, especially to our children, when the Lord's Day is the day that is full of all of the extra strain. Call it a delight and get in the car. That shouldn't be our attitude. This preparation relieves that stress. And we who are heads of households have the responsibility to make sure these things are conducted properly, according to to the commandment. And so men, helping out your wives and your children on Saturday night is a way that you can do this. Make a habit of stopping your work at a certain time. That helps everybody in the home. For me, I think I've said this before, if I'm doing something, I'm busy on a Saturday, I try to at 5 o'clock say, we're done. We're going in the house. I'm putting on my my pajamas and my slip-on Crocs and I'm not doing any more work. Now we're just we're easing into the Lord's day. It just helps you prepare. I'll give you a longer quote from Martin here. He says, I wonder if our lack of preparation for the Lord's Day is not really an indicator that the Sabbath is not as special in our esteem as we like to think. Most of us would never fail to prepare for Christmas or some other special day, which means a lot to us. Our level of preparation for those days is a barometer on which we can read the level of our love for the occasion. And so it is with the Lord's Day. Our level of preparation for the coming Sabbath is a barometer on which we may read the level of our love for God's day and by which we may rightly estimate our actual esteem for His institution. How much time are you spending in preparation? That shows you how much you really honor the day of God. So prepare for the day. And again, it's not always possible. Every Saturday is not the same. Some weeks are going to be better then others, some worse, but just at least make a habit of thinking, how can I prepare my heart and my affairs today to relieve some of that stress? So there's preparation. Then there's rest. After we've prepared, rest. The confession reads, do not only observe and holy rest all day from their own works, words, and thoughts about their worldly employment and Recreations, Or again, we want to put it in the form of a, a proposition. We could say, Biblical Sabbath keeping requires an holy rest all day from our own works, words, and thoughts about our worldly employment and recreations. This statement, I think, summarizes the commandment as it's given in Exodus as well as the text we read from Isaiah in Exodus. On it, that is the Sabbath, you shall not do any work you or your son or your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. Notice that the Lord does not shy away from the prohibition. He says it. You shall do no work. And then He lists all these others in the household, especially the slaves. Not only shall you not work, but you shall have no one work for you that is serving you in any way. And then Isaiah gets a little more detailed. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly. So there he gives three things. Not going your own ways, not seeking your own pleasure, not talking idly. Again, three negatives. Prohibitions. First, we rest from our own works. This would be that work which occupies the bulk of, Of our worldly employment. It might be the work that we get paid to do or work that is our primary vocation, even if we're not getting paid. So, for most people, we call it our job the work that we go to where we earn money. But it might also be work in which you maintain the living that you have made, like working around your house, maintenance, repairs, upkeep, mowing the grass, things like that. It might be making or keeping the home. If you're a wife, a mother, and a homemaker, that's your worldly employment. Most of the time you're not getting a paycheck, but that is your vocation. Children, this would include things like cleaning your room, taking out the trash, doing your schoolwork. Nobody's paying you for this most of the time, but that's your worldly employment. And I've told some of you, I love on the Lord's Day, if I'm at home, to point into my kids' rooms and say, your room looks like a mess. Do you see that? Don't touch it. Leave it. You don't even have to worry about it today. And that just helps them to see, hey, this is better than tomorrow, because I know tomorrow you're going to say, don't come out into your rooms cleaner. You can relieve. You just show them that it is a blessing. The Lord's Day is a day to set aside these things as much as within reason in order to worship. Worship is always the priority. Now there are, again, some unavoidable, necessary daily tasks that are going to have to be done. The Sabbath is not meant to sever the hand, which we might use to do something needful. It's meant to tell that hand to rest from things that can be put off until tomorrow. And again, remember that the idea behind rest is not merely napping. For most of us, if we're honest, it's not as though we've physically worked so hard all week that we need 24 hours to recuperate. That's usually not the case. The idea of rest here is ceasing or halting, stopping those other things so that you can worship. The Isaiah text says, Not going your own ways, seeking your own pleasure, talking idly or talking your own words. Martin points out again that the the NIV translation, I say he has to point this out because I don't have an NIV to look at, but um, the NIV translates it this way, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day. And that really is the spirit of the prohibition. It's not as though anything that brings us delight is to be avoided because in the text he says, call the Sabbath a delight. That would be contrary to the text. But I do think we understand the difference between that phrase, doing whatever you please according to our carnal appetites and conducting yourself according to the pleasures of the new creature in Christ. Very often the words that we speak and the conversations that we have come about merely... As we please. It's just what comes out. In other words, whatever comes to our minds, whatever flows most freely from our lips, that's what we talk about, typically. It doesn't have to be sinful subject matter. It's simply common. It's what comes the easiest. If it's our job, our worldly employment, then that tends to be what we talk about most naturally. Most men can stand and talk about their job all day or what they did around the house yesterday or what they saw or heard or drove or shot. They can talk about it all day. It just flows. That's talking your own words. It's speaking as you please. Most women can talk about the deals they got, where they got them, and where they bought this or that, what recipe they found, what new health tip they read, who they ran into at the store, etc., etc., etc. These things are not bad. It's just whatever flows the easiest. This is speaking as you please. It flows most simply with no effort because that's what we please. Again, these topics are not sinful. They're just the kinds of things that fill our minds every other day of the week. And in our, in our mouths every other day of the week. How is the Sabbath set apart if our minds and our mouths are full of the same things that they're full of every other day of the week? That's, those are two different things. That's contrary. It can't be. Why, are, why is this what we please? Why is it so easy to, to walk in and, and begin these kinds of conversations? It's because these things occupy our thought life this is why we are to rest all day from our own works, words, and thoughts about worldly employments. We rest our minds and we calm our hearts so that these things are not flowing out of our mouths. If our minds are full of everything else under the sun, then there's no wonder why our mouths are full of everything else under the sun. Ceasing from your own words on the Sabbath is a good practice for those who are of a more talkative disposition and who inevitably fill most quiet spaces with your own words every other day of the week. Now, the Lord's Day would provide a blessed shock to everyone around you when they don't hear you talking about the same things that they hear you talking about every other day of the week. And they would say, what's going on? And you would say, I'm keeping the day holy. I don't use my mouth today like I did yesterday or like I will tomorrow, but it starts with the mind. We have to prepare our minds and then seek the help of the Spirit to keep us in that frame of mind. Now, does this mean that the only acceptable conversation is around explicitly scriptural, theological, doctrinal, or ecclesiastical matters? Again, I would refer you back to those two questions. How would holy people keep a day holy, and if Jesus were physically here, what would you talk about? What would you talk to Him about? There are many things that we're all confronted with on a daily basis in this world that we would certainly bring to the Lord and ask Him, what what should I do here? How should I view this? How should I understand this? What would you have us to do? And the gathering of the saints is the closest thing that we have to a physical Christ with which we can share these types of concerns outside of our own private prayers. So the primary issue is not simply the subject matter of the conversation, although, I think if we're honest, some subjects rule themselves out immediately. It's irrelevant. It doesn't matter. Why are we talking about this? Who cares? But... The primary issue is thinking and speaking and doing as you please. It's it's the attitude. Is this something that's just just flowing because you you feel like you need to talk? Because you don't need to talk. Or is this something that you believe to be useful and edifying? You could ask yourself, is this conversation happening simply because I want to talk about this or because I believe that my brothers or sisters can be helped by this conversation? Why am I having this conversation? Ask yourself that question. Or ask this, knowing that we're here to worship our risen Lord, that this person and myself are about to engage in the spiritual, mental, and physical work required in public worship, is this really the most helpful conversation that we could have right now? Is this getting us all ready to go into the presence of God or not? These are the type of questions that we could ask. Again, it's not a, merely about the topic, but the why and the how and, and, and the purpose behind it. Because we are the body of Christ and individually members of it, and we are expected to bear one another's burdens, and we are expected to bear, bear with the failings of the weak, and to do all things unto edification, a lot of our speech might include topics that revolve around the workplace or the home or the political climate of our nation. And we need to be prepared to use our fellowship time as a church to sharpen one another and to be sharpened by others in every area of life. At the same time, if we're completely honest, we know full well when a conversation is unnecessary or it has degraded into that which is not helpful. Very often we're just so self-absorbed that we can't even realize, I've been talking for 30 minutes about something that this person don't care about. If they wanted to hear me talk about this, they would have called me yesterday and asked me, hey, tell me about all that stuff you want to tell me about tomorrow. Let's just get it out of the way. But they didn't, which means they're probably not super concerned. Somebody might say, well, this is the only day that I get to see my best friends and my brothers and sisters in Christ. Well, I would say to that, well, maybe try to be more proactive about gathering with the saints outside of the Lord's Day. Get together other times of the week. On this day, we've gathered for a purpose. And the purpose is worship, which is the third thing. Worship. This is most important. We're to be taken up the whole time in public and private exercises of His, that is, God's worship. Biblical Sabbath keeping requires using the day to worship God, both publicly and privately. Public worship would be meetings just like this. For our church, we have two meetings every Lord's Day. Now, I can't go to the Scriptures and say, see right here where it says to go to church twice on Sunday. But it is the practice of this church, which means a biblical observance of the Sabbath as a member of this congregation means being at these two stated meetings. But it's not just being here, it's actually worshiping. Worship is the priority participate by praying, by reading along in the Scriptures, by listening, by singing loudly. Worship the Lord in the public worship. And I would even add that the meal that we share after our morning service is a part of our Sunday public worship. You see this in the Scriptures. It was the habit of the early church to share in what they called a love feast. When they gathered, they ate a meal together. And I think we would all agree that our intentional fellowship around a meal on the Lord's Day has probably been one of the most helpful things that we've ever instituted as a congregation. At the same time, it is that time which we have to be most on guard with regard to our conversations because it can digress and be unhelpful. So there's public worship and then there's private worship. These are things that you might do at home or things that that you might do that are connected with the body, but are of a more individual nature. For example, 1 Corinthians 16, 2. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put, aside, put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Now this was not the giving of tithes, but I would say it's associated in that each individual had his own financial obligation to, 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 to carry out here but it was also when they came together in sort of a a private, public act of worship. He conducted it privately. I personally see the giving of tithes and offerings as directly associated with the public worship of the Lord's Day. We could also use some of the free time on the Lord's Day to, to read the Scriptures, to think through... Some of the sermon applications, to read other Christian books, spend extra time in prayer. You might use your afternoons for family worship or singing some hymns or more fellowship. The point is that the day is to be used for worship. Publicly and privately, we have the day separated out from all of the rest where God has given us the liberty to ignore our earthly labors and worship. Rest from that stuff. Monday will get here. Don't worry about it. Worship. And then fourthly, there's duty. Sabbath duties. It says duties of necessity and mercy. Biblical Sabbath keeping requires us to perform duties of necessity and mercy. And the confession references Matthew 12, 1-13. I won't read that section. But there are two scenes there where we see Christ Himself the Lord of the Sabbath, justifying works of necessity and mercy. Now we have to define these terms. What is a necessity? A necessity is something that is indispensable. A necessity is something that must be done now. A necessity is something that could not have been done yesterday and it cannot wait until tomorrow. That's a necessity. Mercy would be caring for the needs of others, especially those who can't care for their own needs. That's mercy. Duties of necessity and mercy. It's important to remember that works of necessity and mercy, properly defined and identified, are not exceptions to Sabbath-keeping. They are Sabbath-keeping. Some people, you hear them speak and they say, "Well, well, I observe the Sabbath, but I do think it's also okay to do this. They're not two different things. It is Sabbath-keeping to take care of these duties of necessity and mercy. Of all days, the Sabbath is the day to take care of necessities and mercy. It's the day to do it. Preparation, rest, worship, duty. Now again, I know that there are probably a thousand specifics that could be addressed. And I I just didn't feel like it would be the best use of our time to even attempt to begin tackling any of them because there's no way to address all of them. I I love to talk about this. I, I love to answer questions. I can point you in the direction of good books and men who've answered these questions thoroughly. More than anything, I want you to take those four things, preparation, rest, worship, and duty, Take your copy of the confession, take your Bible, and I want you to wrestle with this subject. I don't want to stand up here and tell you everything to do so that you can have a list of do's and don'ts from the man behind the pulpit. Again, I don't mind helping, but I also recognize the great freedom that comes with not attempting to be the Holy Spirit to you. Here's a good exercise. Get out a piece of paper and make four columns. Preparation, rest, duty worship and then begin to just write list things in those columns what does it look to pre- look like to prepare what does it look like to rest what does it look like to worship what does it look like to perform duties fill that thing out in your own time take note of what's there and then avoid the things you didn't write down if a situation arises go to your list and ask does this fit anywhere on this list is this thing helping me prepare for the Lord's Day? Is this actually resting from my worldly employments? Is is this truly worshiping God on the Lord's Day? Is this a necessity which could not have been prepared for and which cannot wait until tomorrow? It's got to be done today. Is this an act of mercy toward another person in which I can display the love of Christ to them? Just be honest. Answer those questions and then conduct yourself in faith with a clear conscience before God. Now I want to close with two quotes. One of them is longer, and one of them is shorter, but I think they're both saying the same thing. This is, the first one is from Ezekiel Hopkins. "'The Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it, so that it is no less a sin than a sacrilege and stealing of that which is holy to purloin any part of that time which God hath thus consecrated to Himself and to employ it about either sinful or secular actions.' For if a day be dedicated to God, certainly every part and parcel of it belongs to Him. And we ought to rest from all our worldly employments that might steal away our thoughts and affections from God or indispose us to His spiritual worship and service. And the second one is from B.B. Warfield. This is a little more clear and to the point. Just because it is the Lord's day, it is nobody else's day. It's really that simple. Let's pray.